The real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the, in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for, not in the way you reach them. You are now listening to Musings Behind the Creative. What's your passion? Hi, and welcome to another episode of Musings Behind the Creative. I am your host, Renata dixon Nwosu, and on today's episode, these are the smaller segments sorry, that um, deal with my own personal musings, and what I've been through, what makes me tick, what doesn't make me tick. And I think on the last couple of episodes, um, I talked about being able to track your progression or the different stages of creativity and then I talked about um, how to identify your superpower and all that is amazing and well and good but um, how do you apply it to your daily life so like I said um, I was going through a stage of like deep compression which you know um, in an earlier episode I'd said you know, it's really about um, figuring out where my mindset was or dealing with things that maybe um, I didn't deal with from one experience to another experience. Um, things you tend to just, uh, because you want to be creative, because, you know, in the world we live in, you actually have to have a job. <laughs> you know, you, how are you going to make your money? What, what, what are you going to do? How are you going to... Um, be financially independent how are you going to be able to take care of yourself and when I look at my applications of this um, I think you guys already know I'm from a Igbo household and from going back to Nigeria at a very young age and looking at the family dynamics and stuff for instance in Nigeria your fam your your mum and dad um, will take care of all your bills up until for some people up until they get married um, you do get when you start working obviously um, you know that level of assistance uh, reduces because obviously you can take care of yourself independently but generally that tends to be the norm um, if you're living outside of Nigeria, obviously some parents have chosen to adapt their parenting skills um, to the current environment that they live in. Um, my father, like um, many Africans, you know, like, <laughs> you're going to think it's hilarious, you know, like in, um, in the slave trade, they were like, they brought their gods as well. <laughs> like, my dad brought the whole culture. To the UK, it was like you live in the UK, but the house is Arochuku, and that was it. So, I've always seen myself as living in between two worlds. Um, you have the Western world, or like living in the UK, and operating within your social, economic um, environment, and then coming back to your household and you know knowing what the rules are there and basically as my father would say leave the nonsense at the door so um living within these two worlds there was I became very much aware that for instance 
my father giving me money, it was great. I'm, I was, I'm the only girl, so I was spoiled rotten. Um, but also, the person I am, I just have a thing about control. <laughs> I have a serious thing about control, or should I say I have a thing about being able to be independent. And so I very quickly realised that the approach that you have to take to go and ask your parents for money was not something that I was about to deal with. I just wasn't about that life. I, I understood the respect, but the level of pandering, bruv, that I had to do to just collect small money, whether it was like art supplies because I was an art student first like you know I went from being spoiled to like breaking my dad's bank account like everything was art supplies and it was expensive and you know it was almost like <laughs> you know um, I'd run out of supplies and I'd be like oh yeah dad I need some so you'd be like what, what do you, did we not just it's like yeah well the whole purpose of painting father is that you use the paints until they run out and then you resupply um so that was just I got to a point like I can't it's long bruv I can't do this level of you know you have to do it a certain way you gotta approach with respect you know you know like you know daddy come back from work back then um come back from work he'd take his shoes off I was dared to take not even he would take I would take his shoes off I would take his socks off that was a horrible thing for me back then as well like anyway you guys um Instead, I'd take his shoes upstairs and, you know, I was very well trained, you know, as a, as a, as someone who can run a family and take care of, um, a husband according to the cultural traditions and stuff. So I was pretty much in the kitchen from about seven or eight, um, looking and getting a hang of things. And then like, you know, before, by the time I got to my 13, 14s, I was cooking full blown meals. Um, so um having to you know show that level of respect take my father's shoes off then go and um help or assist at the time prep his food and then you know bring a bowl to um for him to wash his hands present everything accordingly wait for him to finish eating not necessarily that I had to be there and watch him eat but you know you have to be aware it's a bit like being a waitress um and finishing all of that and making sure my dad was like happy calm relaxed from a long day of work and then approached the subject of money and the older I got I was just like I need to hurry up and get my MI bruv because I can't do this I'm just I just I just I, it was frustrating because you know it shouldn't have to be all of this just to like get something that I want and so as soon as my NI came out in fact before I turned 16 I was on my dad like yo let's hurry up and get this NI like what we got to do to get this NI as soon as I got my NI I went to pound them pavements to get to get um to get a job because I just wanted my, my I wanted my money to be my money and you know you see things within different families and different cultures and I just did not like the fact that as a woman I've got a goal to go to, to somebody to financially assist me it was frustrating for me and I knew back then that I 
I, I liked nice things because of the way my dad, you know, had raised us. Things that we took for granted back then, like, you know, my brothers, you know, were wearing not your average, you know, my dad was taking us to <clears throat> House of Fraser, that's where he would shop for us. So my brothers were getting like Ben Sherman shirts, all of this stuff as kids. And, you know, sometimes we didn't like it. We were just like, we just want to look like the other kids. Why, why, why you got to dress us up like Jews or whatnot? We didn't appreciate that level of, um, you know what, you got you kids are living like a, a different type of quality of life. But what that then opened me up to is like designer high-end stores. And I was like, yeah, this, I kind of almost understood this is where I can make my money. So um, my first job was in Selfridges. It was for Nicole Fahey. It was not easy to get, but I was absolutely implicit in my determination to get what I wanted and to live a life that I wanted and you know as soon as I started there you know saving money you know like it was like I said to you guys you know you get your staff discount you start you start living the good life and it was like for me it was like to be a woman or to be a young teenage um to be a teenage girl and to be able to take care of myself in this fashion and manner without it having to be like oh I gotta go to my dad or I gotta go to my mom or I gotta you know people are dating people and people are getting presents and maybe people are collecting disrespect in that process I was just happy that that's not my life I don't have to do that so when I decided that yeah this is the trajectory I just continued to move forward in that you know so I'm sure I've told you guys before, you know, the places that I ended up working for and in because I was just like, there is no going back. Like, you get your first job in Selfridges, then like, you don't have a job and then you're going to go work in Tesco's. In my mind, that was just not an option. And it's not a dig at people that work in Tesco's. It's just, I just knew where I wanted to be. So, you know... Um, ended up working and if I was working in somewhere it was still going to be in Central so I used to work in Next Marble Arch you know from there I moved to hmm, I think it was um, Harvey Nichols and used to work on the fifth floor um, for Ralph Lauren Home in Eves Delorme and again you know you're starting to get your waxes your waxes are a staff discount in a very bougie place it's in harvey nicks you know you're I'm, I'm being accustomed to like clients or customers that will come in they'll tip you in pinkies for those that don't know what pinkies are it's like 50 pound notes yo and you're what 19 20 huh so you mean people are just giving away free monies just like that at this amount and all i gotta do is just do this like sell them an experience allow them to feel valued allow them to be able to feel that they've made a connection or you know um for instance when i was working in dkny it was definitely about the products definitely about telling the stories behind the products you know it's not about hounding clients and you know it was commission based and me because i like monies bruv and if you give me a target oh i'm just like i'm a do I'm, I'm like a dog with a bone with it so my commission was just, and I was working part-time and clearing commission. Actually, I think I was working full-time first. No, I worked full-time. So like I was collecting hella commission on top of my wages. So to do all of that, and then for instance, where I peaked or where I felt I peaked was when I worked for Dolce & Gabbana. 
I literally moved from DKNY, which was on Old Bond Street, across the road to Dodgy and Gabbana. And what that showed me was like, yo, you've kind of peaked within the industry of fashion. Um, yeah, within the industry of fashion, even though I didn't go into like fashion tech um, as a fashion designer the way I had wanted to initially, because um, I changed my mind. It was like, what else is there for you here? Because if you do this, the next step is manager. And I was like, I don't want to be a manager, you know? I really don't. And it was then like, okay, I've got to go back to school. So I hard slogged it, as you guys know. Um, did my interior architecture and design at London Met. Um, then after that, I tried to find work. Obviously, the industry. You just don't have experience at that point. Architects said I was too interiors, the interiors said I was too architectural. And again, that can be frustrating when you start an academic education expecting the promises of what the so-called industry and your tutors are telling you. It is very disheartening to get out on the market and realize that that's not what it is. And having to um, deal with that trauma, because it's a shock, it's a shock. You finish uni, you're like, yeah, this is it. I'm about to blow nobody's even trying to get you out of the car fam you're still at the bus stop waiting for the bus um so it was really difficult for me um and i went back into fashion and i just realized i didn't have the love for it because i wasn't going to be a manager and i realized actually i want to be an interior architect i actually want to be an interior architect so you know went back hard slogged it again did two years at south bank um and you know, I think I've told you guys before about when your confidence gets knocked. You know, I moved from fashion into uh, interior architecture. They're two different worlds. They, they have two different processes, two different um, ways to, um, to understand the creative flow, I think. Um, so whereby I spoke fluent fashion, interior architecture was like um, Latin to me and the learning curve was very, very steep. Um, and to be able to get to South Bank, and I remember one time um, I came in and my work was all up on the wall and I was very confused as to what was happening. Um, and then my shooter was like, oh, um, so we've decided to pick your portfolio to represent the whole year. What? Who? Mike. Mike, that people are just like, the tutors were just hot. They were very harsh. It was hurting me. It was hotting. I can't believe it. But again, it's like things will happen. Your confidence will get knocked. And then it's almost like you get a shaft of light, a, a moment of illumination that actually makes you realise. I think I've said it before, but man, a bad man, innit? So then that gave me extra energy. But when I actually went into that working world, um, you know, it didn't necessarily translate the way I had wanted it to either. But um, in the space of decompression, talking to certain people um, about salaries, about, you know, 
what they think they deserve as uh, employees was very interesting and I very quickly realised that you know I hear the conversations all the time you know women don't necessarily ask for what they're supposed to ask for in the industry or they feel bad to ask for it what fashion gave me was price tags that I had to have the confidence to say to the client after I've sold them the story that is well how much is that 350,000 and just straight face it like yeah and and sell it and then get the commission so when I realized what was possible to achieve salary wise you know I was I was starting to live my dream you know I had a level of flexibility that allowed me to create RDNX to start developing Design Associates Africa but you know life happens and then it's like you gotta pick yourself back up again and I've been on interviews of you know because I still want to be a contractor and I still want to pursue my own personal goals but I still want to finish the loop in my architectural education and there's loads of things that I have wanted to do that sort of juxtapose my architectural um, uh, education like having my own interior architecture practice like having my own home collection that is embedded in between um, <coughs> traditional uh, African design craftsmanship and just melding that mel I guess merging the two worlds that I've it, it inevitably grown up in into a space that is um, of luxury, of beauty, of opulence that sells these stories and narratives of, of, of what I'm capable of doing and you know for instance when I was temping you know there was a certain way you had to look I hate uniform absolutely hate uniform as a creative I feel like uniform just kills you unless it's a uniform that you create for yourself um, so in the last practice that I was working in the more I started going Nigeria the more of my Nigerianness started coming out and these were aspects that you know as when we're growing up in London you know it weren't it weren't cute to be um Nigerian. I don't want to say African because I can't speak to everybody else's um, experience. It weren't, it weren't really cute, you know. A lot of the things that people are, I see people falling in love with now and like talking to me about, for me it's almost a little bit irritating sometimes because it's like, oh you just found out we got sauce. We've been great, like we've been doing all of this but like you know as a child you get bullied for being different, you get bullied for, the, for, for not necessarily um, conforming to normal practices whether they are good or bad like people are just going to be like oh, you know have a problem with it if you don't follow the crowd and I've not I've never been a crowd follower and that's always been presented back to me as like oh you know maybe if, my, if it's my parents it's been like oh you're, you're rebellious I've always known what I've wanted and I've always been dead set on getting that regardless of what it looked like not in the way that it's going to harm anybody but I can't tell you my dream brother and then you shut it down and be like it's not possible that may be your perspective well done have fun with that but when you see me doing what I say I'm going to do and executing it at a level that I say I'm going to execute it at I don't 
really want you to be looking surprised because I've been telling you what I was going to do. Do you get what I'm saying? So recently I became aware that the salary that I was collecting, bruv, not everyone in the industry was getting that. And I was like, bruh, I don't understand it. But talking to certain people and some of my friends and it made me realize nah it really it's understanding your worth and understanding your capabilities and you know in the past I've said um or maybe I haven't but I did get to a point where it was just like you know they're gonna everyone's gonna look at you weird if you just show your whole self bruv like you gotta just 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 stay in the box be normal and it, and i've said it i think i've said that you know it became really uncomfortable and we go through moments of evolution regularly and maybe sometimes we're not even aware of it but i think sometime at some points over my over my life there have been times where i have unknowingly reduced myself to just get along just to get along just for the peace because it's too hard just being different it was just too uncomfortable I didn't I didn't want to be under the spotlight but um having these conversations of how people get paid what they're getting paid what they're what this uh, I don't want to say what the industry or what what society deems to be these are the standards yeah those are the standards but it's okay to want more than that it's actually very okay to want more than that. It's how you are able to translate that into what your worth is. So my nervousness to go back out there and look for work as a contractor was, I was shit in my pants. Cause I was like, I can't, I don't think I could do this again. The, the picking yourself up, dusting yourself off, getting it done like I, I I was absolutely emotionally drained and tired which is why I say you know in the moments of decompression you really have to take time out and treat yourself like a child take care of yourself like you are a child so that you can recoup from that and as soon as I got my portfolio out as soon as I you know I started getting feedback I was like oh okay so it's not that bad a lesson from that is we are often panicking about the worst possible outcome which doesn't necessarily exist and you have to find a way to get past or over your fears um and i think i i think i said that i don't know whether whether i said it on the the podcast but I, i had a conversation Um, with someone and I said you know you have to submit yourself to something higher than yourself Um, and that kind of did its own spin-off and you know I was able to interview someone who is a pastor and we talked about creativity from a point of spirituality and all these um, like when I said in the past we de-skill ourselves we de-skill ourselves I went back into interviews with a level of calmness and it was just like, ah, no, I used to be, I'm good at it. I'm good at interviews. Of course I'm good at interviews. I'm good at selling. I'm, I'm good at selling things. But when, when your confidence is knocked or when you don't feel like, ah, can I, 
you know, you create a world for yourself and life and evolution, there is a cycle of birth and, and death and things come to an end and it's just like, you then almost question, can I replicate a world that is better than the one I had for myself? And I, you know, interviewed with great fans and it was just like, when I heard the pay, what? Yeah. I, I just didn't really understand how that translates and maybe this is a thing for like maybe Reba and yes probably Reba because it's probably somewhere their fault that you know architects are not paid as well as doctors and lawyers and yet they do long arduous hours to create spaces that people live in and experience on a daily basis and you want to tell me that you will pay someone somewhere in the early 20ks for the level of university that they have struggled to get bearing in mind that you know you're going to come out with student loan debt on top of that and you want to be giving someone that amount and it's just like I have always realised that, I, you know, I've moved from sector to sector and I in, in different industries, but it was like in retail, in high-end retail, as a full-time employee at maybe early 20s, I was collecting 25k to stand on my foot seven hours, eight hours a day. And it's not to say that a sales assistant is not, um, or like an architect is, is, is better than a sales assistant, but in the amount of time it takes to become an architect to the amount of time it, becomes to, it takes to become a sales assistant, there is a craft that you have to hone to make you a good seller. But why is a student gonna come out of their part one? and earn pittance when as a sales assistant you can earn equal to that those are things that I don't I don't understand um, and it's I'm now very much pursuing exactly what I want you know I came across a firm it was absolutely everything that I wanted except the pay was not what I wanted and it was not going to allow me the freedom to pursue the creative design practice that I'm trying to develop and pay for those external things that it takes to pay uh, pay for when you're trying to develop and run a business and you know um, I haven't done it yet but I will definitely send an email and just state my terms and say, this is, you know, I know I'm a good fit for the company because I'm, I'm that guy. But at the same time, let me be that guy and let my wages reflect that I'm that guy because, yeah, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? So I guess today's, today's uh, focus is how you make sure you get the money you want um, obviously when you move from industry to industry there is um, a, a, a drop in wages for the fact that you may come in at entry level but the way I had set myself up is that I come with a bag of tricks you know um, 
I can do CGI visualization, I can do amazing Photoshop, I video edit. I do a whole bag of things. You cannot pay me the standard, bro, because these are the skills that people in their separate industries that harness those things, they get paid very well. And to be able, the way that our, the courses are, are organized, they, they skill you up to be able to do loads of things. And you know, sometimes if you can't find something directly in your industry, just sidestep and see what's available. So I, I've always had a dream to, um, you know, work on set designs and work. Like I would see stuff like Inception, which is a level of CGI and rendering, you know, that is just like, I'm a groupie. I like, I'm, I'm just, I'm just all over it. Or um, Doctor Strange, or oh, I can't remember. There was one movie, and the, the oh. basically, I'm a set design lover, and the fact that I am an interior architect is something that I would, or not even I would, I'm definitely going to approach it because I feel like that is in my wheelhouse, a bag of tricks that I can, um, I can develop, and you know. A lot of people when I tell them the things that I'm doing or the things that I want to do they always say yo Renata you're doing a lot you know and for me I don't feel like I'm doing a lot because at a bit you know from that age of like 15 16 when I decided I am going to be able to take care of myself independently um, I also knew that I would have to push myself beyond the boundaries of what I think is possible to be able to achieve that. I have to surprise myself and let go of my fears to be able to do that. And in doing that at every stage, upon reflection now, has allowed me to really see that I am capable of doing all these things. And also, back then, I just knew if I don't pursue the things I love, the things I want to do, the things I want to experience, when I get old, I'm going to regret it. So I just don't want to live with regrets. I don't want to be, you know, I don't have children at this time. I don't want to be the mother that looks at her kids growing up and they're living their lives and they're really pursuing their dreams. And, you know, the way I'm treating them, they know be because I don't really want them to do that because I'm kind of scared that they're gonna they're gonna fall in their face and fail and it's just like get comfortable with failing get very comfortable let it be your best friend and in the day and time we live in you know we don't like failure we don't like to be shamed we don't like to have people look at us in a certain way but my thing is get comfortable with all of that get comfortable with look, people looking at you like oh she used to be on top but now she dropped off get comfortable with that don't even let them don't even let that affect you let it be your best friend because once you surrender to failing the beauty about failing is that every time you fail you figure out how to do it again you figure out how to try it again in a different way that could be beneficial to yourself and you know for instance 
um, I'd work on a problem or like I'm, I'm trying to model something and like I'm getting frustrated I'd, I'd stick at it I'd stick at it and my, my design um, leader you know he'd, boy my face would show like I'm getting frustrated but am I getting up Mm-mm. am I am I gonna whinge about it am I gonna say am I gonna go turn to my line manager and be like I can't do it Mm-mm. I'd sit there and keep hammering away at that rock until I got exactly what I wanted so you have to be persistent regardless of what the crowds are yelling regardless of how you feel people are going to look at you you have to do that because when you submit to the fear and you're like okay if I'm going to fail I'm going to fail and I'm not afraid to fail when you're when you get there that's actually the moment that you know things change where you get your you know you get your moment where like you get recognition for something that you've done and it's like everyone thinks you're amazing but how many tries did it take to get there and I think that's what I wanted to share with you guys today that a sharing your dreams you know if you come I don't know for other cultures but if you come from an African household or a Nigerian household or even a a Caribbean household there's been very much things you know we don't share our business we don't iron out our dirty laundry if we have plans and agendas and things we don't share it with people because you don't want um you don't want to just maybe like put bad karma on it but I think what we need to understand that each and every single one of us are responsible for the world that we individually create for ourselves and my analogy might sound weird but it makes sense to me I hope you guys can keep up so when you're rendering a room in a CGI environment you render that room according to what you want but everybody else is rendering their rooms according to what they want and this massive computer which is god or whatever you want to call it is taking all those rooms and rendering them into one space so with that being said you cannot be hating or be jealous of what somebody else has because they've rendered their life and their space according to their parameters and to their needs and they have been able to keep that intent or vibrational frequency long enough to the larger computer to understand oh okay um this is a frequency that has stayed long enough so let's actually assist in how should i say bending the will of your rendered environment to produce the outcomes that you want it is a hundred percent completely on you to make that happen and it will be hard it will test your personal character your personal strength your emotional and mental well-being but once you kind of not even kind of once you begin to deal with those levels of things and baggage and all of that kind of good stuff that um typically puts people in a state where they will now be jealous and resent someone for looking in their wheelhouse understanding what their skill sets are marketing themselves accordingly because even when you're looking for a job you are a marketer unto yourself you are selling yourself 
and you know you are presenting yourself as a viable product that can be utilized within a practice a firm a project to create the beneficial outcomes that all the key stakeholders require and with that being the case you cannot be mad at somebody else's success because you don't know what it's taken them to get there but what you can do is take the things that you've learned from them and um, use the things that are beneficial for you um, what I used to do I think two years ago I started um, listening to audiobooks and I would never really been into like um, what's it called autobiographies and stuff but um, I loved Shonda Rhimes as a screenwriter um, Grey's Anatomy has the you know I think I've said it before even had the ability to make me cry in such a way that I didn't even expect to be emotionally attached to that and when I read her story in, in the audiobooks like, what I loved is that she was the one that was um, telling her story and I was just so blown away because in her story I found myself I listened to Taraji P. Henson's audiobook and that was, I, I saw a portion of myself, but I also, also saw her in a way that I hadn't seen her. You know, when people tell their stories, there's something about that. There's, there's something about that that allows you to connect um, and also to laugh and cry at their joy and their pain and, 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 and almost join them in their success and and seeing that or watching that play out you know it doesn't matter how many movies I see her in now like I feel like I have a connection to her story that I understand that you know everything she gets she deserves it she absolutely deserves it because you you know what she went through in the stories and everything and I think that's been part of my inspiration to actually do the podcast which you know in a culture that we don't like to air our dirty laundry um it's I, I don't know whether i'd call it liberating but i know that there's a lot of things that we all think that we don't necessarily share and i think it's actually important to bring them to the surface and to say you know to each other i see you i i see what you're going through and you know what this is what i did this is what could be helpful like I said you take what you want you leave the rest so take pride in, a, in creating that world that you want don't just take what the system gives you and accept it as law you can't be eating crackers and water for the rest of your life bruv like you go and get that steak meal don't just look at it in the window and hate the people that are eating it go and get your own steak and I think the, the spectrum or the space of being a contractor is very much um, that drive of, 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 of being a young woman and wanting to be independent and provide for myself. I like the idea of killing what I eat. Sorry for all the vegans, but you know, the ability and the skill it takes to be, for instance, um, a hunter. I know in the 21st century, we're not necessarily or skilled hunters at this point but you have to become a skilled hunter in whatever spectrum you are because you have to be able to take care of yourself so I guess learn how to be a skilled hunter 
and don't get upset when you see other people taking home their kills and going to cook it and eat it find a way to manifest what you want and and grow into that big heavy jumper of things that you want but you tend to say to yourself no 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 or how am I going to get that give yourself the opportunity to explore that because in exploring that is where you will find your greatness so like I say all the time I'd really want to hear your stories um, if you like the content um, please share uh, give us your comments uh, write in and tell us uh, your own stories and you can follow Musings Behind the Creative at Studio RDNX on Instagram and you can follow me Renata Dixon Nwosu also on inst- Instagram at, at Hello Mama Dici. I've been your host and I'll see you on the other side <laughs>